opened and leading us into this time of worship. Let's pray. Father, will you bless your word to your people this morning and your people, each one of us, to your word? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ? In the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Luke, and uh, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, they tell the same story. Now, I suspect every one of us here could tell stories. We've just heard some of Dr. Roberta's. Stories about the changes that each one of us have experienced, changes that have happened in our lives, perhaps right now. Nick is about to experience a huge change in his life. Changes that we hoped for, perhaps changes that we were scared were going to happen. How do we live in the midst of change? What strongholds are there when we live in a world that seems to be changing all the time? Things change. Things change within us and things changing in our world. Well, I wonder if the disciples that we've talked about now and read about, thank you, Kathy, for that, were asking the same sorts of questions. And if they too were feeling a strange change blowing through their lives. Here's why I say that. Immediately before Jesus takes Peter, John, and James up to the mountain, he tells them that he has got to suffer, die, and be resurrected on the third day. He'll tell them that same thing again when he comes down from the mountain. But what happened? What took place on that mountaintop? Maybe that event, what we call the transfiguration, was about preparing the disciples to live through the changes that they were about to face. Now, we all know that we Christians today are becoming more and more persecuted, not particularly here in the West, but certainly our brothers and sisters are being persecuted all over the world. But make no mistake, it's coming here. It's coming here. Persecution will come here. So maybe this transfiguration story has something to teach us, to illustrate about how we must live in the midst of change. And maybe that's why every year the transfiguration story in the gospel we hear on the last Sunday after the epiphany, the Sunday before we enter into the season of Lent, a season that focuses on change. Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, and its journey it comes to its conclusion on Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then on Easter Day. And we need to take time to consider what these events mean, what this transfiguration of Jesus actually means, and how it meant so much to his disciples. 
And what would that mean for us today? Now, I was trying hard to come up with an illustration. And this is the best I could come up with about what the transfiguration actually means. So Ewan and Chase helped me. Can you just show our people, please? Princess Fiona being transfigured into a pretty cute ogre. Well, there's another one that I want to show you, which is a wee bit more serious, that kind of paints the picture as many of our great artists have painted on this subject. And maybe you could fling that up. I don't know if we can see that, can maybe see it a bit clearer up there on that one. This narrative of transfiguration has fascinated Christians for generations and generations. And this subject was the very last painting of Raphael. He started it shortly before his death and he got one of his students, his favorite student, to finish it. Now the lower portion of that painting you see the apostles desperately, unsuccessfully trying to cast out a demon from a wee boy who was possessed. If you go up to the top part, you see the Lord himself up there in all of his glory. This transpicks to us the, tr the transfiguration. Jesus in the middle and on his right side is Moses and Elijah. And on the ground in front of them are three terrified people, Peter, James, and John. This transfiguration of Jesus, the appearance of Moses and Elijah, the arrival of a big bright cloud, a voice that also came and thundered out from the cloud was terrifying. It was perplexing, but it was also sacred. It's a story that we would read today and find, find strange, perhaps even frightening. But this is what happened when Jesus, before Jesus went to Jerusalem to suffer and die upon a cross. And it's a strange story that some people might think was made up by somebody. People who wanted to tell a good story and, and just make something up. But what happened is this. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and I've come to love this story because my granny called my daddy, John, and his two brothers, Peter and James, she might have loved the story as well, all went up into this mountain and something happened. Jesus in his humanity all of a sudden changed and we saw Jesus, they saw Jesus in his divinity. Jesus began to glow like that candle, whatever it is. Can you see that candle? Can you imagine being in a room and that glow hitting you from every side? His face was shining like the sun. His clothes became as white as could be, as if a powerful torch was shining on him. But then it gets even stranger. These two people, Moses and Elijah, 
begin chatting away to him. Now, they had disappeared out the picture like a thousand years ago. And these three are looking at this conversation going on between Jesus and these two Old Testament prophets chatting away in the heavenly realm. Now, for Peter, that must have been really, really strange. But Peter was somewhat excited about it. And he wanted to memorize this moment. So he, in all of his excitement, the bold Peter said, let's build three shelters and, and we'll just have this to come to every single day. And just as he was getting excited about that, this voice came out of the cloud and said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And then the three wee words, listen, listen to him. Now, Pastor Jacob, who sends his love this morning, he's praying for us all, has been teaching us that in scripture, there's always another part of scripture that will confirm another part of scripture. Now, I don't need to tell you what you're seeing there. You see the baptism of our Lord Jesus here. But how would you feel if you had heard and saw something like that? Well, the three boys felt fear. They were so afraid, the Bible tells us, that they fell down on the ground and they hid their faces. And then Jesus had to come to them and say, Oh, get up. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus. And then Jesus led them down out the mountain and said to them, don't tell anybody yet what you've just seen. That's a pretty incredible story, isn't it? And that little story raises lots of questions for us. Why do we think that Peter's first response was so misguided? Let's build a shelter. How does Peter's time with Jesus then transform him into being a very bold and faithful leader of the church? What extraordinary things have happened in your life? Experiences, maybe not so dramatic, but experiences like that has, that has happened in your life. In what ways do we listen to him today? How do we listen to Jesus speaking to us in our lives today? And have these experiences or listening strengthened us in our day-to-day, -day, every uh, moment of our humdrum work and business? How does then this transform Configuration help us with the question of what is the meaning of life and, and what if, what if that experience can happen to me? What is it that is there beyond what we know today? Well, one way of understanding that is perhaps looking to Jesus himself as our model. In facing up to his suffering, he needed the assurance of God's love and God's presence with him. 
And we too can face in the, can in the face of our own hardships, our own difficulties, find that assurance of love when we hold well with the company of the Lord in prayer and when we discover God's love in the friends and in the church that he gives us and when we listen to him. Now, I don't need to tell you that we live in a world today where it's very much intolerant of the unknown. Ours is an age which is obsessed by the idea of knowing and explaining everything. And yet there's many things that we can't see, many things that we can't touch, which are real and powerful. The light of the sun that's real and it's powerful. The electrons which flow through billions of miles of wires that have been strung up all around the world. The radiation that's there when we pop our dinner into the microwave. The transmitters that give our phones and our televisions power. And the love that we experience from those that love us. All these things are unseeable and untouchable, but yet they're real. And despite the evidence that they are real and invisible and untouchable forces all around, many people still don't believe that there is a God, that a God can do anything out of the ordinary, for they refuse to believe in miracles. They refuse to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. They refuse to believe in the healing touch of God that comes to us in our time of need. They refuse to believe that prayer is such a powerful instrument of change and transformation. And if you were to read that story to them, perhaps they would laugh at you. And sometimes it seems that we in the church, particularly in the Western church, are completely out of touch with why our faith has been so powerful way back then, such a force in the world, but now the church is dying, it seems, in the West. We're out of touch with the invisible forces that motivate our convictions and our belief. And have you noticed today that people seem to be hungry for some sort of experience of the supernatural, the dramatic increase over these last few years in the existence of angels, of witchcraft, of Satanism, the number of people who consult psychics and fortune tellers, speak of a longing that people have to go beyond being merely rational and scientific. And again, make no mistake, there are unscrupulous people out there who look for susceptible people to manipulate them to their own ends. And often, often they do it in the name of religion. They tell you that they are saying, what they're saying is based, is based on their belief, but really, in reality, much of it is based on the invisible demonic world, demonic world 
which undergirds the world. So we in the church, at this time of persecution and coming persecution, need to always be vigilant and careful. And if you wonder why most Christian churches put more emphasis on being true to the historical faith of the church than on any other particular subjective experience, this is it. We know that feelings are subject to distortion and manipulation. And it may make us seem like we're boring or humdrum at times, but we know that when we are true and faithful to scripture, the teachings of the church become alive and real in our lives. And we cannot then be misled by passing cults or weird atmospheres. Yes, we need to be careful in these days. We don't know how God may choose to work in individual lives. And so, yes, we need also to be tolerant. It's the height of arrogance for any one of us to announce that God can only work in one way and not another way. God is God. He can do what he pleases. But most of us, I would think, would be thrilled to have that kind of mountaintop experience that Peter, James, and John had, where they were witnessing Jesus being transformed before them, his humanity and his deity coming together. We would all love to go up to a mountain and see that. We would love to hear the conversation between Moses and Elijah and, and, and also hear God's voice speaking out, but perhaps most of us or many of us would just be happy enough to live a lifetime and never experiencing that kind of thing other than maybe a tear here or there or perhaps that deep, quiet assurance that you know, that you know, that you know that you belong to God and that God is with you. And if that's all we experience, then that's enough for God himself knows each one of our needs. If other people discover a wider scope of experiences, then that's wonderful. And we must cheer them on. God knows the needs of his individual people. But we must remember this. And this is the truth of what matters. The test of our faith, our commitment is not our experience of or our knowledge of invisible spiritual truths and experiences, but in whether we bear fruit, fruit that is pleasing to God. So are we full of peace and joy and long-suffering and gentleness? And, and you know the scripture from Galatians. And does our special experience make us more kind and loving, more peaceful, more trusting, more humble? Does our knowledge of the supernatural, which often controls the world, make us more authentic, more prone to be giving God praise and glory. For there are no doubt spiritual realities that undergird 
not only our own faithfulness, but also the world around us. Yes, there are angels. Yes, there is a resurrection. Yes, miracles still happen. Yes, the blind can see, the lame can walk. And yes, demons still provoke and aggravate. But yes, our prayers still reach out and up to the heart of God. And God still speaks in dreams and in visions and through his word. And there are many worldwide Christians who can testify to these things without a doubt. There are spiritual things way beyond our knowledge, wonders that still reach out to us. There are some who will touch those wonders and there will be some that won't. But the transfiguration of Jesus is one of these. We need to learn to listen. We need to practice being in his presence so we can sense the glory of the Lord. I want to just share something that I've never really shared before in church. I've shared it with my friends but I've never shared this publicly. 20 years ago, or a bit more, my what I knew of life then suddenly stopped. I was still breathing, I was still alive. But everything that I was, everything that I had done, everything that I um, lived for and loved just came to nothing. I had lost my identity. And there is nothing worse than losing your identity. I know I often say, oh, who am I? Where am I? What planet's this? But when rough stuff hits us and we crumble under that weight, it's just awful because you know in your heart and mind that the Lord is there but you compartmentalize that because you're stuck in a time where it freezes you psychologically I felt frozen and I was going through the motions of stuff well I had really really wanted to have some sort of vision for the Lord. Come on, Lord, I've served you long enough. I deserve it. I need to see you dazzling somewhere. I wanted to experience one of those moments where I was between heaven and earth. The early Celtic Christians called those type places the thin places. I wanted to know him not just in his humanity, and in his humility, I wanted to know him in all of his holiness and all of his deity. I wanted the dazzling experience like these guys got. And week went in and week left and month came and month left. And then again, just going through the motions, but still not upset with the Lord. I never got upset with him. I just kept saying, it's not fair. 
you know, everybody else gets this and that. But the Lord, in his wisdom, whipped me off to Kansas City to work at our church headquarters. And it was when I was there, I met a beautiful girl, uh, Kathy Cox, who was a former Nazarene missionary who had adopted like six kids with really special needs. Mindy, her oldest, had no arms. Today, Mindy is an artist, an author, a wonderful woman speaker. And the other kids have just done marvelously well. But she left the Nazarene church because she really felt this was the Lord calling her. And eventually, she became an Anglican priest. So when I went to stay with her, she'd inherited some money and she bought this beautiful big wooden building like the Amish people had built. And outside it was a wee shed. She called it a chapel. I called it a chilly shed. It never even had a seat in it. You had to sit in the wee Hessian rug thing. And she invited me along and I had some fellowship with these Anglican people. And uh, we call them Episcopal people here in Scotland. And the thing that I found out there was that the Anglicans or Episcopals have never made up their mind whether they're Catholic or Protestant. So I kind of slid in because I had been Catholic, now I'm Protestant, and I kind of slid in comfortably. Uh, didn't really participate in the glass of wine we would have together over the table and chats and talking through theology. But it was a really interesting experience. But every day, she would invite me to the daily office prayers. So I thought we were going to go to church. But it was in the shed. And it was four times a day. And it was mucky and muddy and windy and wet. And she said, well, I'll see you tomorrow at the Wesley Hour. I went, great. What time's that? Now, the Wesley Hour for me for many years was five in the morning. And, and my clock would go off often at five in the morning, but this particular Wesley hour was at four in the morning. So there we began the daily office prayers at four in the morning. And I'm sitting there half sleeping. And, a, and after about two or three days, I began to get a bit grumpy. And I'm like, I think I'm going home. These people are expecting me to begin in there all the time. I don't really want to go. But the Lord kept reminding me, just stay present with me. Just listen to me. And one of the responsive readings, which they would say very often, was this. Glory be to the Father. Glory be to the Son. Glory be to the Holy Spirit, who was and is and is to come, world without end. So I was like, oh, I know that, well, some of it. So I kind of belted that out every now and again. But there was one morning I went over there, and I just sat and I cried. I felt so empty. I wanted to be like those disciples. I wanted to be present with the Lord. I wanted to be open. I wanted to be receptive to him. I wanted to listen to him. And all that was going through my mind was glory be to the Father. Glory be to the Son. Glory be to the Holy Spirit. 
How can that be, Lord? And I didn't hear an audible voice. But I knew then it was going to be through my life. I knew at that moment that I had to get rid of disappointments, regrets, guilt, the sorrow of the many losses, the sin of perfectionism, the self-doubt, perhaps even the self-hatred, and start living, living attentively, listening to him. Fear, anxiety began to leave me as I said this prayer day after in and day after and day after. I didn't need to try and control things. I gave it all up. I didn't need to compete with anybody. I didn't make comparisons or didn't want to make any judgments against anything. There was no resentment. There was no condemnation. I was just listening to God. Listening to God. And I learned from then that listening is one of the most difficult things for us to do. But listening is, I believe, one of our spiritual practices. Because what listening does, it opens up reconciliation. What listening does, it gives healing. Listening brings unity. And listening takes us back to that mount where the transfiguration of Jesus took place. I want to say to us this morning that I believe with all my heart and all my life, all that's past, all that was ever, ever happening to be, that I believe that the glory of the Lord is all around us. And it can be in us day by day as we listen. I guess we, perhaps if we're honest, we've just forgotten how to look for it. Perhaps we've forgotten that the Lord is there constantly wanting our attention. Or maybe we expect to see it like Peter did. But unfortunately, we won't see that glory in full until we die. Elizabeth was listening for the Lord. Hey, Elizabeth, come on in. Come and see my glory. Come and live with my glory. All we get down here in the madness of this world is we sneaky previews. But I want to end now and say that each one of us in this church, this church that I love and would die for, you're my brothers and sisters, and I'm telling you now, I would lay my life down for you. Because that's what we do if we're truly Christian. That's what we do if we're truly Christian. And this church is filled with faithful saints. 
God's holy and true Christians. And my prayer is that we will always live in that hope of glory. And I want to challenge you this week as you go out and about, look for God. Look for his glory. You will find his glory in amazing places and listen for his voice. Listen to him. He just longs to speak to you. I think we have a